0: hello it's on the ledge the podcast about house plants the plants that live in your house I'm your host, Jane Perrone, and whether this is your first ever episode or you're a seasoned listener, welcome to the show. This week is a guest swap with the HGTV Obsessed podcast. I talk to Marianne Canada, who's executive producer and lifestyle expert at HGTV.com about how to keep citrus plants happy inside your home, the best colours to paint your wall to show off your houseplants, and why we both love thrift shops. And if you check out the show notes, you can visit the HGTV Obsessed podcast, where you can hear me talking houseplants with Marianne in their latest episode. Plus, in this here podcast, I'll be answering a question about the confusing names we give the Swiss cheese plant. Thanks for joining me this week. I hope you managed to find something to do with yourself in the absence of on the ledge last week. I've been pricking out my Hoya seedlings and sowing tomatoes and chilies. Do check out those On the Ledge Sew Along episodes and there will be more. I'm hoping to do a special OTL Sew Along related visit in a month or two, which will be very exciting if it comes off. I can't tell you anything more right now because it's top secret, but look out for that one. Thank you to Gabor S and Anoon Moose for leaving reviews for On The Ledge in the UK and Ginger Girl from the US for leaving a review also. There's been a flurry of new patron subscribers. Meg of Southside Plants became a supervan. Katerina, Neely, Lynn, Sarah and Rhea all became legends. And Amanda and Erin became crazy plant people. Welcome to you all. Visit the show notes at janeperone.com to find out how to become a patron and unlock extra bonus episodes and more. If you've spent the last year staring at four walls and wondering why you haven't got around to redecorating, putting up those shelves, or turning that spare room into an indoor greenhouse, then HGTV may be the American TV channel you've turned to. And HGTV has recently dipped its toes into the world of podcasting with a new show called HGTV Obsessed. And I was delighted to be asked to do a guest swap. So I appeared on their show. And their executive producer and lifestyle expert, Marianne Canada, chatted to me for On The Ledge. As is often the case with an On The Ledge interview, it was a wide-ranging chat. We started out talking about citrus and how to keep them happy as houseplants and ranged over everything from me repainting my front room to the delights of Victorian modular furniture and why I'm obsessed with the Commander Pear. Intrigued? Well, let us delay no more and hear from Marianne Canada.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Marianne Canada. I'm an executive producer for HGTV Handmade and the co-host of the HGTV Obsessed podcast. I love swaps, and
0: this is what this is, an interview swap. So I'm really excited to have you on the show, Marianne. Just tell us a little bit about the HGTV Obsessed podcast for those who haven't come across
1: it, what you do there and what the podcast is all about. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jane. I'm so honored to be here. I'm so impressed with what you've done in the past four years um, in the houseplant and podcast space. The HGTV Obsessed podcast is still a relatively new podcast, and it really, it's the first official podcast from HGTV. So what you can expect to find there is a combination of interviews with HGTV stars, but also a lot of really helpful information. You know, we take listener questions, we uh, draw on, you know, the years and years of expertise that we have at HGTV. So it's really about all things home and garden uh, with a little bit of fun thrown in we always try to get you know a little bit of inside scoop from our hgtv stars and i'm just so excited to be one of the new co-hosts it's amazing isn't
0: it i think the pandemic has focused our minds even more than ever on our homes and making them into nice places to be um i didn't really know what a flipper was until about a year ago in houseplant house plant terms a flipper is somebody who buys a house plant at you know ikea or lowe's chops it up and you know sells it on facebook but it's it's something a bit different with houses isn't it i have to admit to being a complete diy as we would say here in the uk we probably wouldn't say it's probably just me but i would call myself a diy <laughs> plonker which basically means if i try and like i tried to clean a light You know, I'm thinking half the ceiling's coming down. That's, you know, like I'm taking something apart. It's all going to go pear-shaped. So I need all the help I can get with my general uh, house zhuzhing up and decoration and interior design. I am severely lacking. You know,
1: you're not alone out there. There are a lot of people who very quickly get in over their heads there's a children's book called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. And sometimes I think that people get in that mindset with DIY, where they start one thing and then next thing you know, like you said, you, you go to switch a light bulb out and next thing you know, half the ceilings come down and you're replacing all of the light <laughs> fixtures and then you need to paint. And if you paint one area, well, then the rest of the house doesn't look as good anymore. And I, I do think that's a very common challenge. It
0: really is. And in fact, the only thing that really Motivates me to do that kind of thing is plant related. So I have had some brilliant buys on, well, not buys, things that I've picked up on Facebook Marketplace for free. And it's mainly often that I need something for my plants. So I bought a brilliant. Coffee table, really a round coffee table with a lid that slides so you can store stuff inside it. And I've got it in my front room. And the person was giving it away because it was white and it was a little bit like their children are drawn on it a little bit. But I'm thinking, I'm just going to stick some paint on that and I'm going to make it look amazing. Do you know what I used? I used fence paint from outside, like outside fence paint in, that was dark grey. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that, yes. I, I, shouldn't, I don't know, it probably shouldn't have worked, but it looks amazing. And it's this amazing piece of furniture that I got for free and my looks great with my all my snake plants on it. So really, that's the only thing that motivates me to do that kind of DIY task is something for my precious plants, which is... I guess not that surprising now I hear that you've got a bit of a knack for growing citrus indoors and I have to say this is one of my weak spots in terms of house plants I have killed quite a few citrus so I, I need to know some inside track on this tell me about what citrus you've tried and how it works
1: what what techniques do you use to keep your citrus trees happy indoors there really are a few tricks to it. Um, I, I actually really believe that if you keep a few things in mind, anyone can successfully grow indoor citrus. The number one thing that I think people forget is about Considering the environment that citrus trees normally thrive in, so they grow, I mean, here in the States, they grow in Florida, they grow in California, they're used to lots and lots of sunlight and regular rainfall. So when you're trying to bring something indoors that normally is happiest outdoors, you do need to do a little more homework than you would, for example, you mentioned a snake plant. You know, a, I once bought a snake plant and accidentally forgot about it in my garage for a month and brought it inside and it was no more worse for wear. A citrus tree is not going to be that forgiving. Yeah, that's, that's really true. Yes, So the number one thing to consider, well, there's several things to consider, but the first thing is the pot that you put it in. You really want a big enough pot. These trees have pretty dense root structures. So you really want a big enough pot that has good drainage. You're going to need to repot a healthy citrus tree every three or four years or so. So you really want to give it room to grow. Water must be able to freely drain right out. Um, A soggy bottom, soggy roots will kill your citrus trees faster than anything. They're kind of like succulents in that way that you can, you know, love them too much. Uh, I think that people sometimes get really enamored with their plants and they want to give it water every day. And with citrus plants, you do want to really water them deeply, but only when the pot is close to dry. So about every seven to 10 days, depending on the humidity levels and then you need to think about the soil. So again, thinking about where they thrive, you know, it often has soil that has a healthy amount of sand mixed in. So I really recommend a soil that is made for citrus plants. You can buy it at your, you know, local home improvement or garden center. And then mix in some hardwood mulch. Um, I like cedar mulch. It smells nice. It doesn't have any dyes or additives. Um, So about one-third mulch to two-thirds potting medium. Um, And then, you know, citrus trees love nitrogen. Look for a fertilizer made for citrus. And then the biggest thing, sunlight. Citrus trees need bright, direct sunlight. About six to eight hours of light a day is perfect. Um, A grow light can definitely help. I saw that you had a grow light pointed at your plants um, behind you, and that is great. But you really want to take a hard look at your home and your space and figure out the best spot for them. And um, my number one, my number one secret, this really is my number one tip with citrus trees is to put them on a wheeled plant stand. So you can move them around, you know, throughout the year, the sun changes its angles and how it comes into your house. So don't be afraid to, to wheel your citrus plants around the home. And even outside, they really love to be outdoors it gives them a chance to be pollinated naturally um, and plus I always like to feel I feel a little bit like I'm at Versailles when I wheel my <laughs> citrus trees outdoors.
0: For the that summer. is a really good tip yes because you know so many times you uh, I'm, as you're right you need to have it in a decent sized pot I think there is a real tendency to think that you know indoors you've got to stick everything in in small pots just for convenience but they do need a big pot and yeah something on wheels is fantastic for just those little adjustments because I find that plants do need to be moved quite even non-citrus you know the conditions will vary so much throughout the course of the year that something's happy in the spring in one spot won't be happy there uh, come summer so yeah wheels are the way to go and you can buy those I've seen them sort of these little mini wheeled I don't know what you call them wheeled platforms that you can
1: I mean is that something you get from Ikea certainly very inexpensive. Um, I think, you know, usually just around $10, you can get, you know, get something pretty sturdy, because especially when you factor in water and everything, it will get pretty heavy. But yes, they're very easy to come by. And they also, a lot of them double as a drainage tray. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone.
0: That is the kind of tip I like, saving time. Uh, let's to talk about the fruits on these citrus. Do you, do you get fruits? I mean, I know sometimes you can buy them with the fruits already on, but the, I guess my imagination tells me the mark of achievement would be getting new
1: fruits to grow from scratch. Yes, you do get fruits. I think it's it's very important when you're when you're doing your research and when you're looking to buy a citrus tree to grow indoors, really take a moment and think about your variety. You know, I love grapefruit. But grapefruits, they're very large fruits. They really take a long time. Um, They like a lot of heat to really bring out that sweetness. So when you are thinking about growing something indoors, I have two varieties that are my absolute favorite and that I think will really set you up for success. One is a dwarf Meyer lemon tree. These are great because at their full size, they are only about four feet tall. Um, So they are, again, easy to move around, to move outdoors when it's warm and sunny outside. And they will produce fruit. And it's not just fruit. It's the most delicious. I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of trying a Meyer lemon. But they are almost like a cross between a a sour orange and a traditional lemon. They have this beautiful, really deep orangey-yellow skin that makes delicious zest. You can use them um, just like a regular lemon in all of your recipes. They're so delicious. They're so fragrant and just very beautiful, very pleasing to look at. So I really love a Dorfmeyer lemon tree. And you can buy Meyer lemons in the shop and these will taste comparable. They are kind of a gourmet ingredient, so they can be a little pricier. Um, I do always tell people it's it's a folly to think that you're going to have any real savings when you're trying to grow your yeah. own fruit and per vegetables a lemon, you know, sometimes it's, I... it's probably not a exactly saving. It, it's not but it's so satisfying i mean what is more mm. satisfying than going walking over to your lemon tree in your kitchen and pulling off a lemon for that night's salad dressing. The other citrus tree that I really love that is less common that you're not going to find in a grocery store is the Calamondon orange. These are beautiful, beautiful trees. They can get quite tall, but it's a very kind of airy, just a lovely airy structure. They have very fragrant flowers and produce these tiny tart oranges. They're so tart, you can actually substitute them for lemon. They make a great curd or marmalade, and they are wonderful in a cocktail. I have made Calamondan margaritas before, and they're just outrageously delicious. And they're very beautiful. Um, They're just very pretty to look at, even if you never picked an orange, but they do really well. And both of those, they don't need as much sunlight as some other more finicky citrus plants might. Again, about six to eight hours. And they really need darkness too. It's like all of us. They need their time to rest, right? So, you know, people might think, oh, citrus needs sunlight. And they're just going to keep that grow light on 24 hours a day. You really want to give your, your plants time to rest, time to go dormant so that they can produce all of that beautiful fruit. Yeah,
0: that's absolutely true. I there's, there's so many citrus out there. That's the wonderful thing. And I think, you know, we just assume that it's just what we see in the shops. But there are so many cool citrus out there. The one that I've kind of been um, interested in is uh, the yuzu, which is a very trendy ingredient here right now. I don't know how well they grow indoors. And I've also, I mean, this is fairly typical of me. I'm also stalking a commander's pear. Have you ever heard of a commander's pear? It's actually a citrus fruit So the the intelligence from my hairdresser Who went to a spa Not far from me And said they've got this amazing citrus tree In the garden And it's got these amazing fruits on it And and I really want to get one of these trees for my garden So I did some research for her Turns out that it's citrus lumia pyreformis Which is the commander's pear Which is a pear shaped citrus fruit That grows outdoors here in the UK I'm going to be going over there Later in the year to this spa and kind of, you know, wandering about the car park looking for this tree. <laughs> tree. But I don't think that's one for indoors. But there's so many cool citrus out there. It's a wonderful group of uh, fruits and plenty to explore. And I think you mentioned grapefruits. I have a feeling that there are some grapefruits you can grow outdoors here as well. I think there are some quite hardy ones.
1: Uh, yes, you definitely, I mean, with you living in the UK, a quick search for cold, hardy um, citrus fruits will will really help you out. That's interesting. Yuzu is not something I had considered, but it is one of those exotic, you know, trendy ingredients in restaurants right now. And how, how cool would it be to have that growing in your home? Um, there's also something called a finger lime. Have you ever seen um, a finger lime? They come out of Australia. Is
0: it like Buddha's hand or is that a different thing? The, the like really it's, it's dip. You know what I mean? Like spindly. it's spindly.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> Buddha's hands are very, they almost look like a, something from a horror movie sometimes. <laughs> um, no, finger limes are these small limes with very, uh, very thin skin, and the inside of them almost looks like caviar. They're very sweet. You can eat them out of hand. And I have heard that they can be grown successfully indoors because they are they are tropical plant, but they grow um, closer to the forest floor. So they're more shade tolerant. So that's on my list to try out because I think my kids would think they were fun.
0: Yeah, that does sound fun. Yeah, the world of citrus is large and interesting. And uh, yes, I think those are definitely ones we want to try out. But um, I will let people know about my commander's pear experience. If I get arrested at the spa, then you'll hear about it. Woman stealing fruit from tree. Uh, But anyway, we'll we'll have to we'll have to arrange for your bail. (laughs) Yeah, please do. So let's move on from citrus. I, one of the things I wanted to talk about is just some differences between North American and UK homes and how that impacts on houseplants, if at all indeed. I've got lots of family in Canada and I want to say all the homes, but perhaps it's that's untrue. But lots of homes are open plan as opposed to here where like we have separate rooms connected by doors and <laughs> there isn't really... There are open plan homes, but they tend to be fewer in number. Does, does an open plan home have any impact in terms of growing stuff and how you arrange things or how you care for things? I'm just thinking about drafts <laughs> and
1: potential, you know, display options with open plan? You're right. We've definitely seen a trend um, in the U.S. towards more of an open floor plan. We've really seen that in the past, I would say, 20 years. Um, It's been an increasingly popular trend. Interestingly enough, um, COVID might be the thing that drives us all back to putting more walls back up. (laughs) You know, all of having a little space, being able to close a door and have some privacy is um, suddenly a lot more appealing. But in terms of plants, I think the nicest thing about an open floor plan is, you know, really going back to moving your plants around the house to take advantage of the light changing throughout the year. That's definitely going to be easier in an open floor plan house. I think in general, you know, they often tend to have more windows because that light can really penetrate the whole house. So, you know, for example, in my own Dining room, which is open to my kitchen, just like just like you said, I've got floor to ceiling windows. And so in the winter, when the sun is at this right angle, I I tend to move a lot of my tropical plants into my dining room. I have a very large copper tray that I put on the floor to protect my floors. And I move my elephant, my giant elephant ear into the dining room. I move my um, monstera plant into the dining room because that's the best light for that time of year. And it really does fill the whole front of the house with sunlight
0: yeah i guess the grass is always greener isn't it you know i think british people perhaps are envious of the open plan idea but then yeah i like to be able to shut myself away occasionally and get some peace and quiet so so maybe as you say it does have its benefits back with Marianne in a few minutes but now it's time for question of the week and this one comes from Clara who like so many people got into houseplants during the course of the pandemic and Clara Again, like so many of us, has got a Swiss cheese plant on her wish list. But she's finding the array of different names these plants go by rather confusing. Is it Monstra Deliciosa, Philodendron, Monstra Deliciosa, Philodendron Monstera, Monstera split Philodendron, or something else? Clara's discovered that Monstera and Philodendron are two separate genera, so she wants to know, can there be such a thing as a philodendron monstera? Great question, Clara, and there's a lot to unpack here, so let's get going. First off, monstera and philodendron, you are right, they are different genera. So the genus monstera and the genus philodendron, they're both members of the Araceae family, the Aroids, so they are related. So a genus is kind of the plant equivalent of a surname, The group of species to which the plant belongs. So, if something's in the philodendron genus, it can't be described as a monstera. Although you do sometimes find that Latin names will refer to other genera. So, for example, I'm thinking of the classic Pilea peperomioides which if you've listened to all the episodes of this show you will know is the chinese money plant so pilea is the genus and peperomioides that means that it resembles the genus peperomia so a pilea that looks like a peperomia so that does sometimes happen but it doesn't mean the pilea is a peperomia it just means it looks a bit like one I think there's a lot of confusion about the Swiss cheese plant for a few different reasons. Firstly, because growers don't always put the importance into Latin names that perhaps the botanists and the taxonomists do. To them, it's just about putting a nice label on the plant that will sell it and give people a rough idea of what it is. So they're not so worried about accuracy. So the monster ends up being called split-leaf philodendron because... It's got split leaves and it looks a bit like a philodendron. It ends up being called philodendron monstera because let's chuck all the Latin names in there together. I don't use the term split leaf philodendron because actually, as often is the case with common names, this is also used as the common name for another aroid, Thaumatophyllum by you got to have your teeth in to say that one. So which looks kind of similar. So that's why I tend to avoid that particular common name because it's not particularly helpful in narrowing down what plant you're talking about. What I can tell you is that the current scientific name for the Swiss cheese plant is Monstera deliciosa. So that means it's part of the Monstera genus and the Deliciosa bit, well, that identifies the species and that's kind of the equivalent of our first names as human beings. The Deliciosa bit refers to the fruit. If you've listened to my episode on Swiss cheese plants, which I think was episode number two, very early days of the show, I talk a little bit about what the fruit of the Swiss cheese plants like. It's called ceramon or has various other names as well. And if you happen to live in tropical or subtropical places, you might be able to buy one. I've never tasted one, but apparently they are quite tasty, hence the delicios a bit. So this is why scientific names are useful because it gives us one single name that can be used around the world for this plant. So while in some parts of the world the common name may be split-leaf philodendron and in other parts of the world it might be called the Swiss cheese plant, we've got this one unifying scientific name. So that's why they're useful. And If you do go back and listen to my botanical Latin episode, I go into more detail about all of this stuff. I really would love it if growers started labelling their plants more accurately What can we do to make this happen? Well, I think it's just a question of making a point to sellers whenever you see plants mislabeled and telling them that we're not happy with the quality of labels when we see ones that just don't give us enough information. I think that's the only way that the industry is going to change. I should just say there are lots of great growers out there who label their plants really accurately, but unfortunately, it's not that way across the board. Now, there are dozens of other species in the genus Monstera. So, you might come across Monstera adansonii, Monstera dubia, which is the one that is a kind of a shingling vine that grows with leaves flat up to whatever tree or branch it's growing up. And, of course, the legendary Monstera obliqua, which is (laughs) so often wrongly put onto plant labels. It's the one that's got very little leaf and a lot of hole, if I can put it that way, and is probably not going to be something you have in your collection unless you are a real specialist in rare plants, because it's very hard to get hold of and expensive to buy. Now, you may have heard Swiss cheese plants talked about in terms of Monstra borsigiana and Monstra Albo marginata. What about those? Well, that's a whole podcast episode in itself. But basically, Bossigiana is a small form of Monstra Deliciosa. And this tends to have a more vining habit. So you find bigger spaces in between the nodes. That's the point where the leaf joins the stem and it tends to spread. Whereas Monstra Deliciosa, the spaces between the nodes are actually pretty small unless it's grown badly in which case you might find that it's rather leggy but generally you're looking for Monstro Deliciosa to have these short spaces between the nodes whereas Borsigiana more of a vining form bigger spaces between the nodes and slightly smaller leaves Albo variegata is a mutation of the Borsigiana that brings in variegation to the leaves Anti constellation well that is a mutation of Monstra Deliciosa, so you do get those short node spaces and the larger leaves. So that's how you can tell the difference. Also, the variegation on Thai Constellation tends to be a bit more creamy than Albo Variegata, which really is white and green. It's worth saying that taxonomists and botanists are working on the genus Monstra right now, new species are being discovered all the time and DNA analysis is figuring out new relationships between different species. So this may change. It's worth saying that what I'm saying now may not be valid in one, two, three or five years time. And even some of the taxonomists disagree about different names for plants. Confusing much? Yes, I know so the snake plant as i've said before on the show which was genus sansevieria has now been placed in the genus dracaena the genus that we associate with the dragon trees which look very different from snake plants and this is due to dna analysis of plants that's been carried out some sansevieria experts though they disagree they don't believe that dracaena should be the new genus and they are sticking to sansevieria so it can get confusing But I think what I would say to Clara is if you're buying a young plant and it's got heart shaped leaves, maybe with one or two bits of fenestration, it probably is a Monstra Deliciosa. It's such a common plant now. It's being produced on such a mass scale. If in doubt, you've most likely got a Monstra Deliciosa and not some particularly rare form. That said, occasionally mutations do occur a pop-up when you're looking at mass production of plants. So we'll always keep your eye out for some variegation on <laughs> the leaves that should be plain because you never know what you might spot. Well, I do hope that helps, Clara. As I say, do go back to listen to the Botanical Latin episode and to the Monstera Deliciosa episode. I will put links to both of those in the show notes. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, do drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com shoot me over a picture and as much information as you can about your plant and I will endeavor to help. Let's get back to my chat with Marianne and I want to talk about the many shortcomings of pots. I wanted to talk about plant pots because uh there are so many bad plant pots out oh, there. Truly. People who design plant pots don't necessarily know what us plant growers are looking for. Um what is it that makes a, a good plant
1: pot for you? Drainage. It's the number one. The number one worst offender of decorative plant pots is no drainage hole. And I get it. It's, it's harder. It's messier. You've got to have a, a tray underneath them. Um, you know, you've know, you got to protect surfaces from the water. But I really reached a point within my houseplant journey where something snapped inside me and I just said no more. I am not buying pots that do not have a drainage hole anymore. I have a few exceptions. I do have some orchids that I've left in their nursery pot, the plastic pot they come in. And I just have dropped that into a more decorative pot um, for them to just sit inside. So you still get the benefit of the drainage, but it's pretty because I am, I I have successfully kept these orchids alive for five years and I'm terrified to change anything. They're very happy. (laughs) I, I think that, Orchids are kind of finicky and if they're happy, you should just leave them be. Have
0: you tried that tip that was everywhere on the Internet a while ago uh, where you made holes in the bottom of terracotta or pottery pots by putting them in a bucket of water and then using a hammer and a screwdriver to make a hole in the bottom while they're under the water?
1: I have not. I have never seen this. Sounds a little dicey. It actually works. <laughs> okay. I mean,
0: the only thing is I would say don't go and buy a really expensive pot and then try this out and then blame me when it smashes. But it has worked for me with um, terracotta pots and other glaze pots. So you get a big container of water. It's got to be able to cover the pot and then upend it so that the rim is on the base, but it's all underwater. Then you get your hammer and you know sort of a smallish hammer and some kind of screwdriver and then you just tap the top of the put the 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 point of the screwdriver on the base of the pot and then just tap 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 and it goes through without smashing the pot
1: it actually works I mean I was shocked I I am shocked also that's that's actually great to know I have successfully added drainage holes using a just an electric drill um, mm-hmm. with, you know, a bit that's made for porcelain or, or crockery or something like that. Um, but not everyone has power tools or access to them. So that sounds like a, a great option. Now I feel like I need to try it out. Try it out on a pot that you really hate. <laughs> first to see if it works I definitely I definitely have I have a potting shed with a graveyard of pots that I have abandoned so maybe I'll go pull one of those out well, Also I
0: find that don't you find that you always need to have loads of spare pots because you just never know like a pot that you've hated and then you buy a, a new plant and suddenly that pot that you hated is just the right pot for that plant. And it comes into its own and you get it out and you go, I'm so glad I didn't chuck that away. Um, <laughs> you need space, though. That's why my shed is such a mess. It has to be said.
1: <laughs> it's it's so hard. And I also like to hang on to things because for HGTV Handmade in particular, that's our DIY channel. We love a painted pot project. It's like our audience time and time again any kind of diy you know a new technique a new way to paint it a new pattern um it's just nice to keep things on hand for projects like that exactly and this brings us neatly
0: on to the fact that i am terrible at diy as i've already said <laughs> but i have been repainting my lounge Because we got a new uh, sofa and I've painted it exactly the same color I painted it 10 years ago. How boring is that? (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it's a sort of a pale blue color. It made me think, are there particular colors that
1: are good as a foil for foliage? That's such a great question. Especially now, I feel like with this rise in popularity of houseplants and people really going for that, you know, that jungle vibe at home where it's just... Plants, you know, plants are the dominant uh, decor item in the home. I like to think of it in a couple of different ways. You can either really lean into the jungle theme. Um, I think a really deep emerald green is so beautiful. It's so lush. You get kind of that tone on tone, um, monochromatic. Um, The plants kind of meld with the paint color rather than pop against it. I also really like to think of the color wheel. Now, you know, opposite of green is red. And I'm not saying you need to paint your room red, but an earthy, a terracotta, something in that um, color family where the green is really going to be very vibrant against that color. And then I also think that you can't discount, you know, kind of that that classic California light and plant-filled aesthetic with bright white walls, lots of wood tones, and then lots of beautiful plants where the plants can really take center stage.
0: If in doubt, just paint it white. That's my, <laughs> my rule. Although I have discovered there are shades of white as I discovered when I painted a room white and then tried to sort of cover up some marks with some white paint it's a totally different shade of white how is that possible
1: there are thousands of shades of white and you can never match them completely that's why I mean you you've done such a smart thing you know I think there's nothing wrong with painting your room the same color it certainly makes it easier but no matter what color you paint your room just just get an a little extra paint and keep it stashed away because it is so so difficult to match it down the road even if the
0: paint's gone solid at least you can look at the tin and see what make it was and what the color name was so you can go and buy it again that's that's the thing because otherwise you're just trying to match something that you're never going to match well i'm I'm halfway through painting my lounge (laughs) i've been like doing a little bit every weekend i had to move my bookcase do you have these in the state it's a, a very early form of modular furniture Called a Globe Wernick bookcase. Hmm. Um, so it late Victorian early Edwardian bookcase, but it's modular. So literally you can lift off each shelf individually. It's so cool. It's the coolest thing. So it was really good because I was able to take it down on my own without anyone else helping me because oh, yes. you could just take the books out mm-hmm. and then lift it off. They were used in solicitor's office. Anyway, I still I just love that piece of furniture. Yes. It's so good.
1: <laughs> I just looked it, I, I just looked it up and And my grandfather was, I mean, here in the States, we call it a a lawyer. um, And he had these in his office. One of the things that that brings me on to
0: is my love of the thrift store aka the charity shop here in the uk oh yes, i mean that is the place another great place for picking up secondhand furniture and stuff and also pots just love going around a thrift i'm so missing it because they're all shut here at the minute because of the lockdown do you like
1: that kind of uh, shopping too oh i love thrifting I just find it so rewarding. There's something so satisfying about finding, you know, a hidden treasure, um, among let's, let's be honest, a lot of trash. You have to, (laughs) you do have to, you know, you have to really be willing to get in there and, and dig, but I love thrift shopping, um, And I miss it as well. I've not been in over a year, like a lot of us. And that's something I really look forward to and not just thrift stores, but, um, you know, yard sales, things like that. I have been able to satisfy a lot of that, uh, that by looking on things like Facebook marketplace, you know, um, places where you can arrange like a contactless pickup, but Nothing compares to going into a thrift store and just digging in.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Because you can pick up so many useful things. You know, obviously you can get some interesting pots. You can also get sauces and things for going under plants, things you can repurpose, casserole dishes and things you can repurpose. The thing I was looking at this morning and thinking, oh, yeah, I need to go to that thrift store that does all the furniture, looking at hat stands that people had repurposed for hanging plants and thinking, yeah, now I need a hat stand. <laughs> but where do you get a hat stand other than a thrift store these days? Truly,
1: truly. <laughs> that's a
0: that's a great point. But I feel like you could find one. Yeah, probably. And I, I just love the idea of getting a bargain and just making something that nobody else can see the... Good in and just turning it into something really amazing um, that everyone else has passed by. That you can see the potential and make something cool. I once bought a mirror that my husband absolutely hated <laughs> for my garden, and he just he hated this mirror. I think he finally conceded in the end that maybe it was okay. <laughs> it, it's a wonderful treasure trove, and I I just love the fact that you're bringing something back into use without having to go and buy something new. That's a good feeling too. It
1: is. It is. It's very satisfying. Um, And there's also something really fun about knowing that you have something really unique. I mean, everyone can go, you know, to there. I don't know if you guys have Target. I was going to say everyone could go to, you know, a a large department store. Yeah, we don't have Target, but we have some similar shops. Yeah. Yes. And anyway, you know, you can buy something mass produced. And of course, that's also fine. That can be very budget friendly. And you can get just the thing you need when you need it. um, Versus, you know, waiting to, to discover something at a thrift store. But I really just I love that. I love knowing that I have a unique piece and that's just something that's really important to my overall design aesthetic in my home.
0: Yeah, because you don't want to go around your friend's house and see that they've just bought exactly the same piece of furniture and (laughs) (laughs) copied you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Marianne. It's been great to speak to you and and pick up your citrus tips. And I'm looking forward to uh, listeners being able to enjoy this interview swap and um, yeah, keep on
1: growing yes jane thank you so much this has been um such a delight i hope everyone feels empowered to go out and try to grow some citrus indoors just remember they like sunlight and water and wheel them outside every once in a while it's kind of like how we would treat ourselves right (laughs) i certainly need wheeling outside for some sunshine once in a while (laughs) Definitely, definitely. But yes, this was really delightful and I can't wait to um, return the favor and introduce you to our audience on HGTV Obsessed. Awesome, thank you, Marianne. Thank you.
0: Do check out the show notes, for the names of the citrus that we mention and for your chance to listen to my appearance on the HDTV Obsessed podcast and also links through to things like What a Globe Wernick Bookcase is. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back in seven days for more Houseplant Heart to Hearts. Bye. The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops, Quasi-Motion by Kevin MacLeod, and Whistle by Benjamin Banger. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit JanePerrone.com for details.
1: Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at Virginia.org.